Today on the show, when football meets the liturgy, no, seriously, uh, we do indeed need heroes. Shall we talk about celibacy, our picks of the week, and so much more? The Catholic Underground starts right now. Hey, how you doing? Uh, It is time for the Catholic Underground. We're the podcast that tries to cut through the noise of the digital continent and bring you the topics that matter. It's episode number 414. I am Father Chris Decker. Joining me this week, we've got Kathleen Lee, who is the Teachus Maximus at Our Lady of Mercy School in Baton Rouge. (laughs) Gracias, she says. Hey, Kathleen. Hey, good to be here. Also, Olivia Galino. She's our student of life, our resident Italian food critic. Olivia joins us as she often does. It's true. I'm here. That's right. Uh, also, we got uh, Jeff Blackwell up on the satellite there. Jeff Blackwell on the slow-moving Jeff Star One. <laughs> hey, Jeff, how you doing? Great, father. I restarted the uh, graphics computer <laughs> and I didn't tell anybody. That must be what's happening. Oh, so we'll okay. just kind of let that uh, just yeah, animate it. off the screen. Yeah, it's great. Okay. And then Ed Ball is uh, running the the video up there too. Uh, so if you like the 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 stuff you see. Then that's it. There it is. But it was my fault for the uh, the video problem. So if you're listening yes. on the podcast, just pay no attention to what I just said. That's right. Yeah, that's right. Look good on radio. You know <laughs> what else is happening uh, as we go to air is uh, some sort of a famous football game, and I think we we do this pretty much every year. We mm-hmm. we are almost always uh, I don't know if we can say Super Bowl Sunday trademark NFL. Uh, but uh, but uh, we're always on that same weekend, and we usually, unless the unless the Saints are playing, the New Orleans Saints, yeah. of course, which is down here in Louisiana, we Who usually knows? go on the air and we provide a uh, a football alternative. But here at the top of the show, we thought that we would talk about one of the uh, the team members hmm. of the Kansas City Chiefs. Of course, the Kansas City Chiefs playing in the 2020. Super Bowl. Yep. And uh, and so we're talking about uh, Harrison Butker, who yes. is a native of Decatur, Georgia. And lately on social media, he has been very, very uh, public about his love of the church, most specifically his love of that which is rooted in the sacred liturgy. Mm. And so, I mean, you know, it's, it's hard for us to, of course, I feel kind of like uh, fo- with football players, the way that I feel about my doctor, it seems like they're getting younger and younger and younger. <laughs> no, that's not it. I'm just getting older and older and older, wow. you know? That's and the most so, like grandpa thing I think you've ever that, said. Yeah, yeah. okay. My doctor <laughs> just keeps getting younger. <laughs> Actually, my doctor would be happy with that because he's a little bit older than I am. But still, anyway, so so uh, Harrison is a young Catholic, and so he has uh, now a very developed kind of Catholic education uh, in in the ways of the faith. But um, it wasn't well established in high school in his early college years. And so, uh, as he he says in an interview with EWTN News and on the Knights of Columbus, and we'll put links to those video interviews. Um, he says that uh, even though he was raised in a Catholic family, it wasn't until later in his life that um, that he he found his faith uh, as something that was meaningful, and that was whenever he was a student at Georgia Tech. I he, know a few people who have come out of the Georgia Tech Catholic yeah. students Group. collaboration. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's I mean they're. They've so been pretty legit. Doing something mm-hmm. right, yeah. you're mm-hmm. saying. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Exactly. Some of my good friends come from Georgia Tech mm-hmm. um, who live now in Louisiana for various reasons. Mm-hmm. And yeah, they do have a very robust kind of spirituality. Which is which makes sense because, I mean, if you're in a place like Georgia, it's not exactly a Catholic center, mm-hmm. you know, uh, maybe Atlanta to some degree, but even still, it's a very kind it's of the Baptist. The Church of Chick-fil-A. Well, the Church of Chick-fil-A also being the second largest church in uh, in 
in Georgia, you'd think Church's Chicken would be somewhere there, but it's not. Uh, but uh, so you have to really be Catholic if you're on um, a secular university, right? Uh, so so that's that's good to hear. In fact, um, Butker describes how experiencing masses at the Catholic Center gave him an impression of Catholicism that he had never had before. He said there was reverence, and it didn't feel like we just made this up. There is tradition in our liturgy. It is set apart from the world. And I think that's one of the things that that Catholics who kind of rediscover their faith through the liturgy, uh, they more often than not will mention that, is that it, it feels like there is something that I'm digging into that's deeper than myself, right? Some sort of tradition, a treasure chest that, that I didn't bring to the game. And, um, and it is something that is set apart from the world. And that's what we often say about the liturgy, is if it just looks like everything else, in the world, and it's not really liturgy. Yeah. You know, we we have secular liturgy. We call it the uh, you know the football game, right? right? We mm-hmm. call it the Olympics and things like that. We have mm-hmm. that secular liturgy, but that all has to spill from what we do at mass, right? right? Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. I was talking to my sixth graders about this this whole idea, you know, and I was like, "What questions do you have?" And their questions were, "Why can't we blank mm-hmm. at mass?" And mm-hmm. I'm like. Because you could do that anywhere. Yeah. Why do we, you know, this? Why don't we have rock music at mass? I'm like, get <laughs> you yeah. know. And, and it was it w- it was interesting to to see them kind of wrestle with that idea of this is the place where heaven meets earth. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. That this isn't just bread and wine. Like mm-hmm. you know that. I think was it Saint Jean Vianney who said something about if we saw all that was going on at Mass, we would die. We would of die. Joy. Mm-hmm. And they were like, "You die," and I'm like, "Yeah, you die." Of joy. Right. <laughs> and yeah. yet we said, and I was telling them because you know they, I said, you know, it's very sad that I look around and none of y'all are singing, none of y'all mm-hmm. are responding, mm-hmm. and you guys are like in sixth grade. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You're too young. You know. I, I don't want to call out my confirmation kids in my parish, but I'll call out my confirmation kids. At least some of them. Uh, I, I, of course, I can see everything, especially when I'm, you know, preaching the homily and whenever I'm turned towards the people for the greeting and things like that. And uh, it's it's almost like sometimes I could be wrong. I, if this is you uh, and the, and I'm not being accurate here, it's okay. Let me know. But sometimes it's almost like there's this defiant. I will say nothing. Uh-huh. I will not move a muscle. I want you to know that I am here, but mm-hmm. I am not present. You know, mm-hmm. and and that's uh, that to some degree is kind of an adolescent way that we encounter the world outside of ourselves. And so I'm just I'm just glad that you're there. You know, if yeah. you if you are present at mass, I'm glad that you're there. But there is something that is inviting you deeper, and that's mm-hmm. what Harrison uh, here has uh, has discovered in in going to mass at the Georgia Tech uh, Catholic campus. He says um, he credits his appreciation with the faith to the preaching and ministry of Father Joshua Allen, who was the chaplain there in Georgia Tech. And he said he didn't shy away from Catholic truths. He spoke in a charitable way, but in a way that made you hear the truth. You heard what the Catholic te- Catholic Church teaches, and why yes mm-hmm. uh-huh and so whenever um butker arrived in kansas city he made it a priority to find a parish where he could keep this f- newfound love of catholicism alive and that's important is that at some point um we we say that confirmation does this but we know that confirmation is not the time in which you choose i will be catholic no mm-hmm. no that's done um from your baptism onward mm-hmm. you see but there is a time maybe before your confirmation maybe after maybe well after where all of us have to say, Lord, I want to follow what the church teaches because I want to follow you, and I will take that upon my shoulders, you know? And that's exactly what Harrison did. So when he got to Kansas City, 
uh, he found a parish, and so he went to uh, St. Mary's or goes to St. Mary's in Independence, Missouri, to drive across the state lines 40 minutes from his house, but it's his new spiritual home. Uh, he said, I was Googling Mass times and looked at Doss and parishes with the Latin Mass because I thought if they are offering the Latin Mass, I know the liturgy was going to be done well. Mm-hmm. Because his, his way of kind of coming into the faith was through well-done, well-celebrated liturgy. Mm-hmm. And the, the thing about the, 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 um, the traditional Latin Mass is that there, there's very little deviation yeah. um, because the rubrics are very, very clear and the priest has to follow the rubrics uh, in, a, in a very um, a very clear and distinct manner. Mm-hmm. And so this is what he was looking for. He was looking for, allow me to translate, he's looking for that which is beautiful, you know? Mm-hmm. And so he's like, well, there's there's probably going to be a high degree of beauty here if this is a, a parish that, that has to kind of cross the T's and dot the I's well. Yeah. And so uh, that's exactly what he found. Um, when he was asked about why the liturgy needs to be reverent, Butker said, the summit of our faith is the Eucharist, that's what makes us Catholic. You become Catholic because you believe in the real presence of Jesus Christ in the Eucharist. A priest who celebrates the liturgy well believes what he is doing. And I think that that's very true, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, Butker, of course, is preparing to enter his third season with the Kansas City Chiefs, and along with his wife Isabel and their newborn son James, they still claim St. Mary's as their parish. Mm-hmm. But that uh, he found, uh, what this is what happens too whenever you begin to discover the beauty of, of who Jesus is through the liturgy. He says that he's not content now just to simply attend Sunday Mass. Um, he, he says he knows he's noticed that it's very difficult for priests to have time and to teach and coordinate altar servers, and there was a need to have boys and young men to serve. He said, so I volunteered. Mm-hmm. So now he works with his pastor, Father Matthew, to coordinate the servers at Mass. And he says all these boys are just finding out about the Mass and tradition, and they are really liking it. Boy, oh boy. Like, yeah, I would imagine <laughs> that if I were, you know, a, a young man and a, an NFL kicker was yeah. coordinating altar servers, I'd uh-huh. be like, uh, sign me up <laughs> because I'm going to go to that, you know, yeah. that meeting. Sure. Yeah. Well, be exactly. Like kicking little other boys yeah. in the shins to get the opportunity to, you know. That's true. Yeah. And that's the thing about it, too, is is it's really it's really quite telling whenever um, we're saying that if somebody famous were at my parish coordinating my servers, I'd sign up. But in, in every parish, in every parish, would that we have sure. uh, kind yeah. of older young men mm-hmm. who, who, who maybe, you know, they might be high school phenoms or whatever, but wouldn't it be great if, if they had, um, if they were providing an opportunity for younger, for boys to look right. up to them, right. you know, mm-hmm. that's what's supposed to happen. And it just so happens that, that Harrison is a Kansas City Chiefs kicker, you know, yeah. so yeah, definitely yeah. a plus there. But there is, there's this need, uh, there's this need for heroes, right? And we'll, we'll talk about that a little bit later in the mm. show as well. Uh, and so let's see, so he's, he's training servers um, and, and he's uh, forging friendships with other priests. And, um, and so he actually, um, he began to celebrate to, or to, uh, to serve the extraordinary form of the mass. So that's what another, another name for the traditional Latin mass is the extraordinary form of the mass. Whereas the, the Mass that you and I tend to attend every Sunday uh, in English is called the ordinary form of the Mass. Pope Benedict makes that distinction. And so uh, Butker began to organize and serve the first solemn Mass in the extraordinary form that was ever offered at St. Michael's Parish in Leewood, Kansas, which is just a few minutes from, uh, from their family home. So not the 40-minute away parish, but the one that's closer. Yeah. And so looking ahead, uh, Butker says that he hopes to continue to promote the sacred liturgy in the Kansas City area. But as a new father, he's also taking his duties as a parent seriously and has been building a a library of books on theology to educate himself and his wife further in the faith. He says, you can witness through your life 
but you also need to witness through catechesis, which comes through education. And as the father of the family, it's my responsibility to pass on the truths of the faith to my children. Mm. That. From from a religion teacher, thank you. Yeah, (laughs) praise God. Yeah. Like that's, that's literally what catechesis means. It comes from this word that means to sound down. And like that sounding down is most effective when it comes from the the people who have natural authority and natural love and protection for that child right if it comes from someone that they've never met before but you know all of a sudden is giving them grades on things and Mm. they have you know this kind of like artificial like relationship within an educational system it's not as meaningful as like when it comes from your dad it's very true and and that's where where we we get into um trying to find the silver bullet if you will for catechesis in the parish and as it turns out, that, that, that the sure arrow that will always point straight is when the parents are doing exactly like Harrison's doing. It's like, I'm, I take my, my uh, faith seriously, and I take my fatherhood, motherhood for mom seriously, and I'm got, I've got to pass that on to my children. And so I'm building a library. I'm going to the parish. I'm taking an interest in the liturgy. I'm the one who's asking the priest questions about my faith. Yeah. Uh, these are the things that are essential Uh, If we want our kids to see the faith as not something that's foreign to them, you know, I mean, kids are going to be kids, right? They're they're going to kind of buck the system a little bit. They're going to be like some of my confirmation kids are kind of like, I just want you to see that I'm not Mm -hmm. I'm not opening my mouth. But at the same time, something's going on in the heart. And as parents, you can either give them the the tools to unlock what's going on in their heart when the time is right, Mm -hmm. uh, or you can just say, ah, that doesn't. There's nothing that's not really important to us, you know. Um, so those are those are some of the things that uh, that perhaps Harrison is kind of getting at the heart at. Mm-hmm. And as, again, as a young Catholic, uh, yeah. what a beautiful thing. And, uh, you know, as as a member of the Kansas City Chiefs uh, football team, too, because that also spills over into how you play the uh, game. Uh, you know, that's the yeah. other thing, too, is that sometimes we can believe that little falsehood that that my Catholic faith belongs in this Tupperware yeah, container. Sure. But no, you 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 necessarily become a better sportsman. You necessarily become a better father, a better mother. You necessarily become a better human being to the degree that you allow the Lord Jesus Christ into your heart to transform it. Right. And uh, uh, I mean, I, I don't I don't want to to pick sides here, but uh, as of the time we're coming on the air, um, there's already been you know uh, a couple of uh, points scored by, uh-huh. by Harrison uh, on that football game over on another channel. Yeah, but, just uh, a couple. Just a couple. But that's that's a really cool thing. And so uh, congrats to, to Harrison on rediscovering your faith. Uh, congrats to your new family. Uh, and congrats to, to what is coming next for you. And I'm not talking about a possible win. I'm talking about the depth mm. of the rest of the Catholic adventure. And it is an adventure indeed. And so we wish you all the best. In fact, I, could, I, I dare say we could offer a Catholic Underground hats off to Harrison. Mm for being a good dad, a good football player, a good Catholic. All right, one of the things that we want to remind you of, as we often do at this time in the show, and it's good that we do so, it's that we are the Catholic Underground. It's a slow, slow burn here on the Catholic (laughs) Underground this week. Alrighty, yeah, you're listening to the Catholic Underground. We're online at catholicunderground.tv, and that's actually where every week, if you happen to be listening to us live on Facebook or on um, on the internet at catholicunderground.tv, you can 
hang out in the chat room with us, which we hope you would. If you're listening to the podcast, we're always glad that you're there too. I'm Father Chris, joined by Kathleen Lee and Olivia Galino and Jeff Blackwell, and Ed is in the video cave. Uh, our picks of the week are coming up in just a little while, but first, we thought we'd kind of carry through and maybe dovetail on this surfboard of, you know, yeah. of, of Harrison Butker being sure. kind of a hero to well, yeah, servers. If, yeah, if you're looking at, I mean, especially in light of the NFL and the football game that yeah. is going on, right? I guarantee you that if I ask my sixth grade boys, who is your favorite NFL player? They'll list like 50 billion. Mm. <laughs> and then they're like, oh, and then let's talk about basketball. I'm like, okay, wait, we'll stick with football, right? But everybody is looking for a hero yeah. or giants in our lives or superstars or somebody that we look up to. Yeah. You know, um, we need someone to, to make us feel small. And this is a weird mm. thing, not a bad small, right? But small, we need somebody bigger than us or mm -hmm. something to aspire to. And as Christians, we need people who loved and love currently, right? God more than we do mm -hmm. so that we can, we can push ourselves. I'm always asking my students, like, you know, we, we, I made a line. I said, if you're, this is the requirements for living the Christian life, the Catholic life, mm -hmm. right? And you live right here, you are boring. And they were like, what? And I was like, <laughs> and, it's, and, and I was like, and right now, you know, your parents are kind of in charge of that. But like we have adults who are living right above the line. And if we're not looking upwards and forward mm -hmm. and aspiring to be something better and greater, then we are boring, mm -hmm. right? Oh, the spiritual poverty line. I like that. Yes, yeah. right? Well, I feel like uh, that's very like uh, to mystic Aquinas or something like that yeah. about how like the um, the Ten Commandments are the minimum of charity. Right. So like if all you do is follow the Ten Commandments, yeah. It's every time, mediocrity. yeah. That's every right. time my students That's ask great, me, but. from what I've, you know, from when I've been teaching, high school students, now junior high, you know, but can I do this? Is that okay? And I was like, can you? Sure. Should you? Yeah. No. Yeah. Like, yeah. And the other part of that too is it's difficult to talk about morality, right? Unless you speak first about the relationship. Uh, of the one to whom I should be moral, right, right? right? And I guess that's where looking up to somebody bigger sure. than I am, that loves God more than I am, comes into it, yeah. is before you can even go, they did and they didn't do that, right. so I should or shouldn't do that. Right. You first look and say, look at how they love. Right. And of course, you know, we're talking about who we should look up to, the saints. Right? And our good friend C.S. Lewis liked to call All Saints Day Christian Heroes Day. I like that. I like that too, because it's not just... You know, All Saints Day, and we okay. It's the day after thing ever after you know Halloween, where yeah. we're recovering from a sugar coma, <laughs> right? But this is Christian Heroes Day, the the day that we're looking at people who have lived the Christian life, the Catholic life, right? And we're saying, I want to be like that. Okay, here's my New Year's resolution starting on November first. I'm going to be more like Saint Fill in the Blank, right? And he liked the idea um, of the saints as heroes and superstars. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I know with young people, I'm always trying to get these people. I was talking about Blessed Pierre Giorgio Frassati yesterday, oh, or yeah. the other day at, in class. And I was like, and y'all, he smoked a pipe. And they were like, what? And I was like, <laughs> yeah. And he's a, you know, he's going to be, he's almost a saint. So like this idea of making these people yep. real, mm -hmm. Because right? sometimes we can look at the saints and go, I can't, I'm never going to, yeah. right? And the first question is not, oh, so is it okay to smoke a pipe? Right. The first question is, who is that? Yeah. Who is Pier Giorgio Frassati? Right, you know? yeah, 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 yeah. And well, C.S. Lewis worried that we are a little too comfortable and familiar to learn from these great Christians, right? In his book he wrote uh, called Letters to Malcolm, he explained that his grandfather said 
that he, his grandfather looked forward to having some very interesting conversations with St. Paul when he got to heaven, right? His grandfather thought of himself and the apostle as, quote, two clerical gentlemen taking, talking at ease in a club. Yeah. Right? Do we approach the saints this way? Mm-hmm. Are they, you know, you put an S and a T in a period in front of their name and then it becomes somebody that, you know, it, oh, well, yeah. they lived unidentifiable. A, a mystical life, which many yeah. of them did, mm-hmm. you know, but a mystical, unachievable mm-hmm. life, you know. Yeah. If you've ever known somebody who who's holy, like really, mm-hmm. uh, to use a, a, an Olivia word, legit holy, um, and a Kathleen word, too, because you use, <laughs> yeah. If, if, if you meet somebody like that in your life, you realize that that there is something going on in their life because they're they're close to Jesus in a way that you are not. But you also can have a conversation with them. You right. know, they are they are real people. And the saints are that. They are real people. Right. You know, just because they are presently dead does not mean that they aren't more alive than we are right now. Right, right. So Lewis goes on to say that saints keep on reminding us that we are very small people compared with them. Right. And again, this idea that we're small, not in a bad way, mm-hmm. right, but that, you know, where where are we in terms of the line, of the minimum line, yeah. right? Uh, how much smaller before their master are we? Yep. You know, and, and and where can we aspire to? So we probably think of ourselves more like his grandfather than we want to admit, right? Saved by grace as we are, we imagine ourselves the equals of everyone else who is mm-hmm. saved by this grace, yep. right? Uh, we imagine ourselves sprinting across the finish line at the end of the marathon, side by side with the world's greatest runners, mm-hmm. right? Imagine like if you're running a race, which I, it's hard for me to imagine because <laughs> I don't run races, okay? Preach, preach. I sit preach. on the side and go, go for you. I'll <laughs> get you some jambalaya at the end, right? <laughs> um, that, but imagine you're running the race with sprinters like, you know, St. Mother Teresa, St. John Paul II, yeah. like these, these people, where are you in terms of that? I know, you know, physically I'm at the back of the line. Yeah. Spiritually, I'm at the back of the line. <laughs> yeah. I'm gasping right? at the starting line. Yeah. And so, in fact, we, we um, get across only because Jesus and his friends, the saints, right? And those in heaven carried us across. Yeah. Um, it, I can imagine myself here at the end of the race. I'm lying on the street. I'm shaking. I'm sweaty. I'm gasping for air. I can't breathe. Right. I'm throwing up <laughs> whatever was, you know, whatever water. Your jambalaya I down. that you yes. pre ate. Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. true. Uh-huh. Right. And the great runners, those great saints, finished hours earlier. Right. And they're standing around. This just, just drives me crazy when somebody finishes a 5K in like 10 minutes, and then they're like, "Oh, <laughs> what to do with the rest of my day?" Yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, but they're helping us as we can, but That's right. they, they can't do much, right? But they can help us. The mm-hmm. saints, of course, help us, mm-hmm. right? But we have to look at our own state and see how can we help ourselves, right? So what do you do um, when, you, when you're training for this race, when you're going to, you know, when you're looking at yourself besides a St. Mother Teresa, mm-hmm. what do you do, right? Number one, if I were going to run a 5K, which has been several years my um, – my New Year's resolution. <laughs> How many have I gotten to? None. Okay. Right. I often There's always think, next year. Yeah. I often look at my friends who are runners. Okay. What do you do? Right. I imitate them. Yeah. And right? like, if you think about it from a football perspective, what do you do? You watch film of the people mm, you're right. going up against, right? right? The ones you want to try to be like so exactly. that you can get where they were the exactly. last game. Exactly. Right. You would train the way that they do. Uh, you eat what they eat. You, you, you know, what is your exercise routine? What are you doing when you're not running? Mm-hmm. Um, you like trim all the distracting pleasures out of your life, all the cakes, all the candy, all the, you know, um, you know. I, I hear that a lot of runners don't drink a lot of alcohol, mm-hmm. right? Because it can it can affect you. Right? You dedicate yourself your to O2 training. Level. Yeah, mm-hmm. I don't know about that. <laughs> but um, like you dedicate yourself to training, 
just like they do. Right. Right? They show you what greatness is and what it costs. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the saints, it costs a lot right. to be great. If you look at their lives, I don't think I've read about one saint who was just like, my life is awesome and the Lord has blessed everything that I've done. I've never suffered yeah. and I got a halo at the end of it. No. Yeah, the, the saints never would hashtag themselves blessed. No. Ever. No. Right? I don't think. And Bless, so, not stressed. <laughs> right. Yeah. And so that's, so that's what we're looking for. If you want to be like the saints, you got to train like the saints. And yeah. it can't be like me when I look at run, running, I'll do that tomorrow, yeah. right? It has to be today. You can read about any saint and any, you know, uh, their prayer life, what they dedicated their time to, um, the suffering that, w- that went on in their life. And that's not to say like you walk out into the world and go, okay, how, where can I make myself suffer, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? But how do you deal with the inevitable suffering that comes into your life? That's right. How do you deal with, you know, hard times? Yeah, and that's really what makes the saint is, is the ability of the saint to receive the suffering that, that comes to them. Yeah. And uh, do we join that to, to the race that Christ is running alongside of us? Exactly. And have we yoked ourselves to him? Right. Yeah. And so, so what does that mean for us? A lot of times when you look at our society and what's going on in, you know, in society, Mm -hmm. it means saying no to that. Yeah. It means, you know, and that can bring about suffering. Yeah. So you, so you want to know what Christian courage saying no to society looks like and how to do it. Right. Look at the early Christian martyrs, Polycarp, Ignatius, right. Whom the Romans fed to the animals because they love Jesus. Mm -hmm. I was talking to my students the other day about martyrdom Mm. You know, and I said, do you guys really, you know, because it was Catholic Schools Week. We just celebrated it, you know, if you're listening to us live mm-hmm. this past week. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I said, do you guys realize what a gift you have? Yeah. I said, there are people in today's world mm-hmm. who are dying mm-hmm. because they profess their belief in Jesus. That's right. There was a Nigerian seminarian yes. that was killed just this week. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. exactly. You know, and I said, I was honest with my students. I said, you know, for, I struggle with that question. You know, I, I don't know if somebody came up and asked me, do you believe in Jesus? And the alter- and if I said yes, they would take my life. Mm-hmm. I, I would like to say what my answer would be, mm-hmm. um, you know, but, but what would go through my mind, what would go through my heart, mm-hmm. right? Um, you know, or, or you look at saints like Thomas More, right, who's saying no to the murderous King Henry VIII, right, who's, who's standing up against, um, you know, political pressure, mm-hmm. right? Or you look at modern Christians who stood up to the Nazis, like St. Maximilian Kolbe, St. Teresa Benedicta, Benedicta of the Cross, or, you know, or Edith Stein. These are people who, you know, are, are huge saints in our lives. But if you look at their lives, they, it wasn't, you know, it, it was one moment or, or small things that they did, yeah. you know, that built up. It, it, was, it wasn't, you know, they got off the couch and ran, you know, the Olympic race and won. Mm-hmm. It was they lived their life. Every day. Every day saying no to things and saying yes to things that the Lord was asking them to say yes to. Yep. And that's what the saints, our heroes, right? These heroes, what they should be to us. Not just something that's unobtainable, but people that we strive to be like right? Models, teachers, right? Not just somebody that we put on a, on a nice holy card with gold leaf all around it and say, that's real nice for them, mm-hmm. right? But we look at them and we, you know, they, they don't just inspire us, they show us how it's done. Right. And then we say, I'm going to do that. And then guess what? We do it. That's right. Right. They Absolutely. show us the cost, they show us how to win, and then they show us how to be victorious. Yes, indeed. We hope that you'll be victorious uh, in this long life, but also with us on the other side of the break. We'll be right back.
Hail, Holy Queen, Mother of Mercy, our life, our sweetness, and our hope. To thee do we cry, poor banished children of Eve. To thee do we send up our sighs, mourning and weeping in this valley of tears. Turn then, most gracious Advocate, thine eyes of mercy towards us, and after this our exile, show unto us the blessed fruit of thy womb, Jesus. O clement, O loving, O sweet Virgin Mary. Welcome back. You found the Catholic Underground with me, Father Chris Decker, with Kathleen Lee, Olivia Galino, Jeff Blackwell, Ed Ball. <laughs> Our picks of the week are coming up, uh, but we thought we would kind of continue this uh, this ride on heroism mm. in uh, in Christianity, specifically uh, talking a little bit about celibacy because it's been in the news again, as it often is, uh, especially if you follow that very strange place that we call Catholic Twitter. Yeah. So, like, uh, it's Twitter. But it's all sorts of uh, kind of different groups and subgroups happening uh, on on uh, the Catholic wing of Twitter, and it's oh, a strange yes. place, and uh, it can get a little heated. You know, there is some good dialogue, but then there's just some weird dialogue, and then there's some mean dialogue too. Mm-hmm. And and in that kind of wading through it, there's always this question about priestly celibacy. And so we thought that uh, we'd talk a little bit about priestly celibacy today, but through the lens of a, a priest who is married, uh, Father Dwight Longenecker, right. um, who, who has a blog and all sorts of things and has a parish there in, uh, in one of the Carolinas, North Carolina, I believe. Yeah. And, um, and he actually has kind of taken point and said, well, okay, let's talk about priestly celibacy because uh, as I hear a lot myself as a, as a priest who's celibate huh, and unmarried, um, father wouldn't be so lonely if you were married. Or priests, if they could marry, we'd solve the priest shortage. And there are all these other things uh, as well. You know, like there there wouldn't be um, there wouldn't be sexual abuse if priests could oh, yeah. marry, and all those all those old chestnuts. And so we thought we'd we'd kind of wade into the conversation a little bit today, uh, because to be celibate is to be heroic. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah, exactly. And I think that this is an issue that people kind of like Father was giving you examples of. Uh, people are going to make broad sweeping statements with these like heroic kind of seeming conclusions it's really going to be on this topic right if you if you can maybe like poll people and ask them like well what do you think is going to it depends on the person but if you Mm -hmm. ask them like what do you think is going to solve you know x y and z issues a lot of times this is the answer that you'll get and i think it's because we have this kind of false rhetoric that bounces around in our mind um and i i love father dwight's uh, or Father Longenecker, I don't know what he prefers to go by. I'm a I'm a first name kind of, yeah, yeah. you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, this maybe a Southern thing. Anyway, but I, I love his perspective on it. Number one, because he's married, but number two, he goes straight for the heart of sacramental theology. Yeah, He goes straight for the heart of what celibacy is, um, and he kind of circumvents all the um, the bluff, I guess, that, mm-hmm. that people tend to, to hang their hat on that really isn't that substantial. Yeah. Um, it's societally substantial. Exactly. Because it is a private, it is seen as a privation in society. Yeah, and he points out a, a couple of things before we get into what he says, you know, the, the positive aspect of what celibacy is. He points out some some issues, and I wanted to, to bring those up. Um, so he says that, first of all, a lot of times when you um, when people talk about priestly celibacy and abolishing that discipline for the sake of, you know, allowing married priests, um, he says that some, a lot of times there's this over-reliance on the witness of the early church, and this is not the only area that we see 
people relying on the mm-hmm. witness of the of the early church mm-hmm. in a almost mm-hmm. like disproportionate sense. Yeah. Um, like the the issue of like female deacons is is one of those other areas where like people like they they find that nail and mm-hmm. then they just hang everything on it. Mm-hmm. Um, Even though there's a there's a whole row of nails. Yeah. <laughs> you know, dealing with the same issue. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he says that you know certainly the the voice of the early church and the uh, early church fathers is vital to this discussion. Sure. Can't deny that. But that a strong element in the early witness uh, is an understanding of celibacy that was influenced by something called Manichaeanism. Um, and that's a particular kind of dualism that places the body at war with the spirit. Yeah. Um, and anything material, anything that you can you know, feel, touch, taste, see as being somewhat like evil or derived from evil. And that the only thing that's good um, and only thing that you can trust is pure spirit. Um, and so what that ends up um, creating. creating the problem that ends up creating is things like the body are bad. Mm-hmm. Um, the body is just a temptation. The body is a prison, things like that. And therefore things like the sexual act are bad, are dirty, are sinful. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously that is not the case. The, the sexual act in and of itself in the context for which it's intended is beautiful. Um, but if you have that kind of philosophy, yeah. um, echoing in the background of what they're saying, and if we don't, cause we don't understand that, right. If you tell someone nowadays, like Manichaeism is, you know, at the heart of, you know, whatever, um, maybe particular church fathers are like trying to either counteracting yeah. or are like, you know, hearing whispers of, mm-hmm. then we don't understand that language anymore. Yeah. We don't have a framework of, for understanding those philosophical yeah. ways that governed people's lives. I mean, St. Augustine is the best example of somebody exactly. who had taken Manichaeanism in mm-hmm. uh, as a philosophy of life only to discover uh, in the preaching of St. Ambrose, Ooh, this is, this is not right. This is, yeah. This cannot bring me to the end for which I desire, which is God. Exactly. Um, And so the second thing kind of um, hinging off of that um, is that something that Father Dwight finds troubling about this um, argument in favor uh, of celibacy is um, that those who seem to like be on that on that side, I guess, I don't want to put sides in this, but um, they seem almost like unwilling to accept or even listen to arguments from the other side. And that's not unique to this issue. No, right. right? Yeah. You go on Twitter, Catholic Twitter, if you just go outside in Walmart, <laughs> um, they're going to find people that are digging their heels in on something. And so like the unwillingness to dialogue is an issue. Mm-hmm. Um, also because that usually stems from a kind of insecurity, right? If you're unwilling to he- even hear the ideas of another person, it's usually because you don't have at least inherently that much faith in what you're saying, or you're afraid that yeah. something is going to come and, and shake your your understanding, or you're just going to feel attacked or something like yeah. that. Or it, you're you're going to see your position as indefensible, yeah, because you don't have all the information, and so it's always easier just to kind of throw somebody a, an elbow, right? Huh. Exactly, and out of my way, right? As in Walmart, as as in mm-hmm. many big box stores. Well, yeah, yeah. So it's it's a metaphor for life, really. It is. Um, And then the third problem that he points out is that a lot of advocates for um, priestly celibacy sometimes allow themselves to fall into these pragmatic or sentimental Uh um, modes of argumentation. And I think this is really important because these are the things that you hear all the time, right? So things like... Well, a celibate priest is going to always be there for for uh, his church and for Christ twenty four seven. A married man has to look after his wife and kids, right? Like they're like his family mm-hmm. is some kind of distraction. Like that's mm-hmm. their their at heart their essence. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and also that like a priest, his his sole role is functionary, right? Mm-hmm. That he's just like a, a cog in the machine, and yeah. he is the machine that makes the parish run. Um, and if you <laughs> that's you know, not true. <laughs> and if you add in a family, then the machine's going to be more inefficient. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it it reduces whole slew of people and their dignity yeah these are some of the kind of the pragmatic arguments that people or sentimental if you say as you say uh arguments people say of, of why yeah uh celibacy is is a part of our life it's but it's deeper than that right right and i mean some people might cite saint paul in that because saint paul makes a similar kind of um, pragmatic yeah pragmatic argument um but at the time you got to keep in mind that um that practice was still coming into kind of development, right? They were still developing these practices and they were also still developing the theology, right? That's what theology is. It's a, it's a growing, it's a living thing. Yep. Um, not that it's, you know, constantly we're like taking books off the shelf, burning them and making room for more, but it's a constant development, right? So um, it's a deepening, if you will, of mm-hmm. an understanding of what the Lord is asking of his church. Exactly. Um, and so Father Dwight says that the sentimental argument um, is tied up with unrealistic visions of the priesthood. And I think this is really important um, in which when the holy priest is not on his knees in prayer or administering last rites to a dying soul, he's reading a holy book or he's planning some great new project for the Lord in his parish. And he says, yes, well, maybe, but not always. That's right. Yeah. Right. It's not like uh, on every police procedural that needs a priest in it. They walk into any church and there's a priest sitting like three rows from the back. Yeah, yeah lighting, just can- lighting candles. Lighting yeah. a candle or <laughs> yeah, snuffing a candle yeah. out. Yeah. I do love that. Like, Or sometimes it's like a, an archbishop or something, like yeah. on Blue Bloods. So there's you ever there's always cardinal. investments. And I'm yeah. like, um, <laughs> right. okay. Uh, who has mass at 1036 yeah. on a weekday? <laughs> right? Yeah. So they're just um, hanging out in the church like, hmm, that's what right. can I do? Just, okay. I guess I might paint something. I don't yeah. know. And so, so, and so I think yeah, it, sometimes, maybe, but not always. But not always. And I, I think it's an unrealistic expectation anyway. Like, it's, it, it's similar, not the same, but similar to saying, like, a teacher, if a teacher isn't doing something related to their life as a teacher, then they're not really being a good teacher. Right. Um, oh like, gosh. if you ever see... Kathleen, <laughs> 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 I roll and cue. <laughs> but, like, if you ever see a priest out at a restaurant, like, he's not abandoning his post. Like, he can eat with friends. Right. It's yeah. fine. And you we know? can say things other than, you look troubled, my son. Yes. <laughs> you know? Yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> come hither. That's right. All the children, come to me. That's right. Um, so I guess like cutting through all of that and realizing that both sides of the, the priestly celibacy argument, if you want to call it, it's certainly not a dialogue. Um, we have to, to contend with the question that what is the point of priestly celibacy? Mm -hmm. Um, and so like father, uh, Dwight had mentioned that there's this Manichaeanist, um, dualistic, uh, tendency towards understanding priestly celibacy and he says so first we have to dismiss the idea that the sexual act in and of itself is dirty or wrong or sinful Mm -hmm. he says it is not inferior filthy nasty or sinful for a man to be intimate with his wife in fact it is beautiful right um, and he says that if uh, if he is a priest, this physical action in and of itself is no more harmful to his priesthood than blowing his nose, getting a cold, defecating, any other physical action. <laughs> well, which ooh, now that okay. you mention it, um, and so and and that comes to the heart of that that priestly uh, celibacy is something that. Um, happens on the level of the soul, yep. right? Uh, it's not at war with the body, and in fact, it's something that um, that can like deepen the, the the physical movements of the person, right? Yeah. Um, because it, you know, you are a priest forever, according to the line of Melchizedek. Mm-hmm. Um, so that this marital act would never be at war with 
the priestly uh, with a priest celibacy. Um, and he says that to be sure it could be twisted and the relationship could be distorted and sinful, but the action on its own is not sinful. Right. But that's right. just, that's what the church says about the marital act. Right. It is in it any is, situation yeah, in and of itself. It is not sinful. Right. Mm-hmm. And then he says, second, we should dismiss all the practical points. Love this, right? He says, yes, the celibate man is more available and ready to serve, but we all know plenty of celibate priests who are not. Mm-hmm. We can. All right. Um, and he says that we can assure you that married men also get up out of bed at three in the morning to drive across town to anoint someone. Um, and for every practical point you make in favor of priestly celibacy, um, Father Dwight says, I can give you a point of equal weight opposed um, and for every practical point you make in favor of married priests, I can give you a point of equal weight uh, opposed, right? So you're, you're always going to be able to find practical implications on either side that yeah. will kind of counterbalance whatever, you know, whatever you're proposing. Yeah. Um, and again, I think that relying on those sentimental or functionary um, points of argumentation really just reduce the dignity of, of the priest, right? Yeah. As a person. Right. Right. And not to mention reduce their priesthood to just this like vending machine for the sacraments. It's true. I, I have to say that I, I have felt like that before. Um, again, maybe because people don't understand kind of the depth and the mystery of the priesthood. I mean, I don't know that I understand it all that well sometimes. But yeah, th- there is so much more to it than just mere functionality. And I think especially in our kind of hyper industrialized society, we tend to look at people according to what they can or cannot do for me, mm-hmm. you know, and we can tend to look at marriage that way. Boy, do we. Mm-hmm. And we can look at priesthood and even parish life that way as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and so to kind of realize how to proceed, he says that we first have to, to meditate on, okay, what is priestly celibacy? Yeah, what why is would it the be point? here anyway? Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, because otherwise... You know, if we don't understand why we do something, then we're going to start to to shed that thing. We're going to start to forget that thing. Mm-hmm. And so he said that to understand what it is, we have to see that the end point of ordination is for the man to be uniquely configured to Christ. Mm-hmm. Right? He says that the Catholic priest really is supposed to be transformed into this alter Christus, this other Christ, in a depth that's different from lay people, right? right? People who are not ordained, right? Um, there's a what's called an ontological change. That's actually my favorite joke to make after a priest gets ordained yes. or a deacon. I'll just be, I'll like write them a card and I'll be like, enjoy your ontological change. And right, then, exactly. Like, love Olivia. Um, because that ontology on the level of their being, they are different and they are yeah. forever different. Even if their faculties, um, you know, are somehow rescinded or, or if they don't, you know, act in the mode of a priest anymore later on in life, they are always on the level right. of their soul, a priest. In the same way that you are always baptized and always confirmed. Exactly. The man who's ordained the priest is never not a priest, even if he's not functioning as one for any number of reasons. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, and so yeah. celibacy is a tool that the church has given. It's, it's a discipline, not a dogma, right. but it's a tool that the church has given to assist and to strengthen that configuration of the particular man, the priest, to Christ, Yeah. right? If that's the end goal of ordination, and it's a goal that's renewed every day, yeah. right? And it is. Um, yeah, mm-hmm. right? It, like Just like the, the goal of being married is to be married to your spouse every day, yeah. right? Because the end goal is the sanctification of your spouse. So every day you approach that day with that goal in mind, right? Yeah. And all of your actions tend toward that end. For the priest, it's the same way, right? Their ultimate goal is their 
greater configuration to the person of Christ and the greater drawing of uh, of the church toward that person. Right. right, and that's actually where the pragmatism begins to make sense in in where the priest, by, by following the discipline of celibacy, remember it's not a dogma, it's not re- required for our belief, and you can't be a Catholic unless you believe a priest is celibate. No, it's a discipline. Remember, discipline uh, is root word, meaning to follow, <laughs> right, to, to, to be a disciple. And so the priest undergoes this discipline of celibacy so that he can be configured closer to the heart of Christ, not just at the level of his being, but in the level of his doing every day. Yeah. And when a priest does that in the mode of his celibacy, he is actually creating, co-creating with God this spiritual fruit, whereby he is drawn closer to his spiritual children, and they are drawn closer to their spiritual father, and they are therefore drawn closer to God. Mm-hmm. You see, and so it's it. There is a pragmatism, but it is a deeper pragmatism than, well, I'm just available all the time, or right. you know. But but there is a real kind of a spiritual component to it that we can't separate, and that's where the priest is a tool in the best sense, a tool mm-hmm. of the church to bring people to, to Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. And it's not magic. I mean, mm-hmm. it's important. You know, it's not. It's no. Yeah, it's, it's not, not this thing that's just automatic. No, yeah. right. But it, but it is. It is a gift that is given. Um, you know, I don't. I don't want to jump ahead. But you know, one of the ways that we get this is if you turn your Bible to Matthew chapter uh, nineteen, verse twelve. He's talking about eunuchs, those mm-hmm. who who don't have use of their sexual faculties. He says there are eunuchs who've been so from birth. There are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by others, those who have been castrated for any number of reasons. And then there are eunuchs who have made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Let anyone accept this who can. Jesus himself is telling us that this is not just about pragmatism, but there is a witness to, to withholding um, one's, one's sexual faculties for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. And it is something that can be given and is given by God that can be accepted by the men to whom is it is offered, mm-hmm. and and as such, if God is able to offer that, then then it means He's going to do something through it. Yeah, He's going to create a, a new family, if you will, through that. Yeah, yeah, and it's especially not magic because it's it's a gift that's given to a particular person, like Father was saying, like the person mm-hmm. who is is most disposed and is most ready to answer that call. Of course, with the help of God's grace. Yeah. But it also, you know, it's not like this this coverall like or this you know right. this fix-all it's not gorilla glue for like someone's sexuality right no absolutely so not it and requires virtue on the part of the of the person exactly and a constant uh, a constant kind of diving into the virtuous life that the the grace that christ offers um because that's where we would say that it, it doesn't matter um it, it has or i should say it, w- it wouldn't solve a, a priesthood shortage it wouldn't no. solve a sexual abuse crisis it, it doesn't solve any of these things because priestly celibacy can only ennoble, you know, mm-hmm. uh, only ennobles marriage, and, and it ennobles the right treatment of children, the right treatment of others. And and so, you know, just allowing a priest to marry itself is kind of a pragmatic attempt at a solution mm-hmm. for a deeper spiritual problem, you yeah. know. Well, and especially the idea that, like, the, that allowing priests to marry would somehow fix the sexual abuse crisis. I think that that denigrates the dignity of woman because it she's does. somehow a vehicle for someone's, like, sexual desire. Yeah. But also, it just ignores, like, all the psychological aspects of that, too. Exactly. So it's, it, it, things, these things are much more complex than just kind of, like, placing a Band-Aid on top of something. And That's said, true. We're done. That's right. And you it's know? worth saying that, uh, especially in this day and time, priests undergo a great deal of psychological mm-hmm. uh, evaluation mm-hmm. and... Uh, I mean, constant, uh, 
constant batteries of, of psychological uh, and, and psycho-spiritual education to make sure that the choice that we're making here in the West where priests do not marry, mm-hmm. that, that this is something that we're willing to accept and that the Lord has offered it to us as a gift because there are many who enter the seminary who the Lord has not offered that gift to, right? Mm-hmm. They, they, he, he has not, he has not uh, desired to make them eunuchs for the kingdom. He will make them great fathers. He will make them great men but they're not called to be priests. And that's part of the, the discernment process too. Um, and, and that's really kind of a beautiful thing as well. I mean, if I kind of meditate upon my own priesthood, what, what a gift and mystery that is, mm-hmm. you know? And, and we don't just kind of throw gifts and mysteries back in the face of God, the, the one who gave it to us, but rather we say, Lord, I, I want to go deeper into this great gift. And to the priest who does that, well, he's necessarily gonna bring his people closer to, to God but he himself is also going to please be made a saint because of it, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so there's exactly. something more to it than that. And I love what Father Dwight says, that the Spirit's work through um, celibacy in particular, but the Spirit's work through, the Holy Spirit's work through, um, you know, a man's priesthood, a man's vocation, is like the sculptor chipping away at the block of marble to bring out the masterpiece, and yeah. celibacy is his sharpest chisel. It is a sharp chisel. Chisel. <laughs> chisel. Chisel. But it's, it's a, a good one. Sharp darn chisel. It's a sharp chisel. Yeah. Um, so of course there are married priests. If you're familiar with like the Byzantine rite sure. um, and the the Eastern rites the of the 22 church, twenty two other rites of yes. the church that make up the Catholic Church. There exactly. are twenty three, and we're just one of them. Exactly. Um, you know, some of those, most of those, do allow married priests, um, but, but never married bishops. But never married bishops, um, and they're called to that same configuration with Christ. Mm-hmm. Um, but they they're open to God accomplishing that configuration through marriage instead of celibacy. Again, the celibacy in the Roman rite in the Latin rite is a is a discipline, yeah. right? Um, but he says that that burning fire that surges through with God's grace through celibacy for most men must, for us, talking about married priests, burn through their marriage and a sexuality which must, uh, by its nature of being more involved with another person and with children, be more messy and unpredictable. And most right? But God can know, still work there. Most priests I know who who are married who maybe were of a different denomination and then came into the church with their family and sought holy orders. Uh, they would be the first to say, yeah, it's more messy and unpredictable, you know, not because God can't work through it, but he works in the midst of that discipline that is normative in the Latin church, right? Yeah. So really kind of a beautiful thing for sure. And we hope that we've helped to kind of crack open a little bit um, this uh, this discussion about celibacy, because it's something that you probably get if you're just, you know, regular Joe or Jane Catholic, mm-hmm. and, and you do have to make a choice based upon the truth and not just upon kind of a gut feeling of, yeah, you know, it really would be good if priests could marry because, you know, on all these pragmatic reasons. So there's something deeper. And one of the things that we always invite you to do is to go a little bit deeper than just what the rest of the world is saying. Because while the rest of the world may not always be wrong, there's often more to the story. So uh, so we, we'll give you some of the show note links so that you can actually read a little bit more for yourself. And maybe whenever somebody says, oh, you're a Catholic? Well, I think you'll be able to listen, as we said uh, at the top of the segment, and you'll be able to respond uh, and say, this is this is who Jesus is, and this is who the church is because of that. This is what the church is because this is who Jesus tells us he is, and this is what he asks of his priests. So we hope that helps. You know, something else uh, every week that we hope that helps you on your pilgrim journey is that part of the show that we like to call... The CU Pick of the Week. 
And for our first pick of the week, why don't we go to Kathleen? Because we always do. And All it's right. like a firework show with Kathleen. Oh. Yeah. Well, I don't know. Like, Thanks, the, Father. The firework <laughs> show happens when you play this game. Um, I found that I'm a little, uh, what's the word, uh, competitive. Uh, and oh, you, Kathleen? What's the other word? Not kind. Okay, when I play this game. It's she called, could be on a football team. Yeah, yeah. It's called Blank Slate. And what happens is everybody gets a little you know, whiteboard. Mm-hmm with a marker and whoever's turn it is pulls a card and it says you know blank cake or yeah and so like you're you're so let's say it was blank cake you write down what you think either if one other person matches with you you get three points if more than one person matches yeah if more than one person matches with you you only get one point if nobody matches with you if you're just that oddball out which sometimes i am i I always like way out you know because I'd say deburge. You or, get, you know. yeah, you get nothing. So the uh, the object is is to match with one person. Yeah. Um, it's to not be so you know common that you match with a whole bunch of people, but not to be so unique that you match with nobody, mm. yeah. but that you know who you're playing with and you can make like yeah. mental this is eyes at life. them and be like, you know, come mm. on. So it's a really fun game. I've been playing it with um with some friends uh, in a ministry called Dumbox here in in Louisiana, and every time we get together, we play this game. It's incredible. Super fun, super easy. We've played it with adults and kids all in one in one batch. Mm-hmm. It's, it's pretty easy, and there's a lot. Of, you can. It's like a lot of players you can have. Yeah. Um, nice. So it's the, you can find it at like Target or Walmart for about twenty bucks or something. Um, but blank slate. Blank I mean. slate. Yeah. All right, Olivia, who is never a blank slate on the Catholic Underground. Thank you. <laughs> um, I just want to say I have played blank slate. Mm-hmm. Uh, hearing you describe it, I was like, yes, I have, and incredibly fun. Yeah. Um. So my pick of the week is a store called Five Below. Yeah, I don't know if anyone yes. was familiar. Oh, is that like? Yeah, yeah. I've, I've seen them. Like, I thought it was an ice cream store. It's. I did originally too. I thought it was like a gigantic frozen yogurt depot. But <laughs> Which it's would be not. Fine. It, that it, would be fine. That would be great, but it's not. It's kind of like if Dollar Tree and Target mm. had a baby. Because, yeah, yes. and I had never been in there before today, but I went in looking for some things, some like um, exercise things that my PT uh, physical therapist recommended. Um, they have like all kinds of workout stuff, mm-hmm. like exercise balls and like legit like bands and mm-hmm. resistance tubes and things like that. And then they have these little cute organizational stuff for your house. They have, you know, wrappings for presents. They have games and crafts and it's like nice stuff. Yeah. Um, I was really impressed by the quality but also that like the style of everything it's not just like this is literally the cheapest thing that we could make and we spent five minutes on this design right um so i was really impressed but it's like those typical kind of dollar store prices where like everything is under a certain price so this one's under everything's under five bucks um but yeah i really i was very impressed so cool. be surprised at what you can find at five below so no yogurt but no but i mean i'm sure there's one nearby because this is america <laughs> there's there's frozen yogurt to those who ask uh speaking of frozen yogurt jeff blackwell what's going on up there on the yeah, satellite step outside of the satellite instant that's right uh, exactly uh, yeah you know the uh, the first three letters of funeral are fun uh true uh, and uh the, the first three letters of diet are die. Yep. Uh, and uh, uh, and yeah. it's through the intercession of St. Charles Borromeo, patron saint of the obese and dieters, that my journey involves dying to lifelong bad eating habits. Oh, there you go. And yeah. So I started January 5th. Yep. Um, and I've kind of discovered some great snack alternatives. Uh, and it's basically like a low carb, not keto. 
it's a non-gimmick thing. It's not a club or pills you take. It's just uh, watching what you eat and yeah. the portions. Uh, so, to that end, low carb, yep. high protein, and there's this uh, wonderful company. It's actually owned by Oberto, the uh, the original turkey jerky people. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, I, but I uh, they uh, have Lowry's. Uh, they call them bacon curls, but they're actually pork rinds, and you microwave them. Two minutes in the microwave. Fresh hot bag, and, and they I, crackle. Oh, yes. like a bowl of rice krispies, yes. but made of pork. And the sweet thing about you could eat the entire bag if you wanted to, about 180 calories, less than a candy bar. But of course, yeah. you're looking at uh, high protein and uh, less than a, a gram of carbs. So anyway, cool. I, I like them with queso. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, I make a tuna salad. Yeah, eggs, tuna, mayo, and um, sugar-free. Uh, pickles relish oh so, yeah yeah so very cool too. so anyway nice. that's my pick of the week all right that's that and i and, and, and jeff shared some of those uh, <laughs> uh orville pork and bockers with me and uh, they're, they're pretty darn tasty i have to say i'm thinking of getting orville myself pork and barkers. Oh, yeah, that, i may have violated a copyright <laughs> no, anyway didn't. my pick of the week is uh is mm. dr john bergsma and dr brant petrie's catholic introduction to the bible mm. the old testament volume my, it's my. big it's thick yeah Ooh. but it is a, a beautiful beautiful introduction to reading the bible so maybe if you've made a I should read the Bible thing, you know? Yeah. This is a good purchase, and you can go book by book, and it gives you really a, a good lowdown from all of the beautiful Catholic sources uh, throughout the ages with the Church Fathers, etc. So that's right. my pick of the week. We're always grateful, aren't we, Jeff, for our benefactors, for those who pray for us, for those who support Absolutely, us. Absolutely, Father Chris. So this week, the uh, Catholic Underground is possible because of people just like you. Join the growing number of undergrounders at catholicunderground.com slash donate. An important way to support us is to like us, heart us, star us, and share us on your social media platform of choice. We appreciate you. That's true. And uh, do leave us a review um, oh, if, yeah. you, if you happen to, to find us on Spotify or any of the other ways that you get podcasts. And that's what helps to kind of bump us up in the ratings a little bit. Mm -hmm. So uh, please do that. Our panelists this week have been ooh, Olivia Galino. I'm sorry. I usually say Kathleen. Sorry. Olivia Galino. She's uh, at the.real.omg. Uh, and Kathleen Lee, <laughs> sorry, Kathleen. she's the faith ninja. Yes, she, yeah, she's sneaky there, huh? Yeah. Uh, Jeff Blackwell is our technical director at Jeff Blackwellus on all the social media. Our research assistant, and the leader of the crew in the lab, is Jim Hayes. Our video and graphics director is Ed Ball. You know me. I'm Father Chris Decker. You can find me online at uh, Digital Catholic on Instagram and on Twitter. We hope that we've helped you to cut through the noise and find that still small voice. We're the Catholic Underground, we're Faith Gone Digital, and we'll see you next time.